This is K-Pop Unmuted, a podcast dedicated to in-depth discussion of K-Pop. We're your hosts, Stephen Knight. And Scott Interante. And on today's episode, we're discussing IU's palette with our guests Lizzie Parker and Alexis Hodoyan. Lizzie is a journalist based in Scotland. She is also the editor of BeyondHallyU.com. And Alexis is also a music journalist and the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Cult Scene. Thanks, guys, so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us. So I know I was looking forward to this release by IU. Lizzie, I take it that you're an IU fan as well? Any IU release is an IU release that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. And Alexis, how about you? Are you an IU fan? Um, not really. No. Yeah? (laughs) I mean, I don't hate her, but she's not my favorite, no. Right. I recognize she's great. It's just not for me. Sure. Well, we like all perspectives. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for me, she's definitely one of my favorites. I was sort of getting into K-pop, and then when I saw the Good Day music video, that was when I was like, whoa, what is going on here? So she's always been someone that I've really looked up to as like, I wouldn't say like the pinnacle of K-pop because she does something very different than most artists, but someone whose music I've always thought was really, really great. So I was also very excited for this release, and maybe we'll get into later how that turned out. Good day for me, too. I think I listened to that when I was just getting into K-pop, and I was just thought to myself, any country that will have this sort of Broadway disco song as like their biggest song of the year, I have to learn more about it. Exactly, yeah. I actually did like 23. It was kind of unfortunate, the whole debacle that came associated with that album because before I thought that she was kind of vanilla but 23 was great and this new album it has its moments but I'm not team IU yet getting there that's interesting because this album and the previous one Chatshire with 23 is kind of moving more into the mainstream typical K-pop. I mean, it's still interesting. It's still IU, but it sonically is kind of more in line with what's going on. So I guess it would make sense that it might be more appealing to you who didn't like her earlier stuff. Yeah, I think now I'm kind of seeing her more of um, coming of age. So she seems mm-hmm. a little bit more mature and everything. And I think I'm slowly accepting her. The thing I love about IU is her voice more than her music. She has just such a beautiful sound and is so expressive. But 23 was one of my favorite songs. That's the kind of IU that I really like is the sort of offbeat, fun, playful songs. I think she definitely does better when she's singing her own lyrics. I mean, she's very good at singing other people's songs as well, but Mm -hmm. she has quite a unique perspective on things, I think. Yeah, I think you definitely see that in the title track from this album, the whole tone of the whole album. And the last one, too, is very introspective. And like Alexis was saying, it's kind of more mature, more reflective, coming of age sort of lyrical themes, which is maybe it feels more personal than her earlier work. Yeah, I think so. I think when I heard that line, it was like, I like it, I'm 25 or whatever it is. That was what I was hoping, kind of hoping that she didn't do, went from like, 23 to I'm 25 but I think she did it in a way that was that kind of avoided the part of that that I wasn't looking forward to what were you all expecting from this album based on the teasers or just based on the fact that it was IU and she had just done Chatshire in 23 I was looking forward to it because 
she kind of showed off her potential a lot in the last album. I don't think it was necessarily amazing. There were a few songs in it that I didn't like very much, but you could see that there was a lot there in terms of, not so much in terms of her vocals, because she was an incredibly mature vocalist at 15, but in terms of her composition and her lyricism. So I think I was expecting quite a lot from that. Yeah, I don't know what I was expecting because it had been almost two years since Chet Shire. Uh, she had sort of done a lot of acting work and I'm always hoping for something really different and interesting from her. I like the title track. I don't love the rest of the album. It all feels a little boring. It's what a lot of people online are saying. I think a lot of it is very good, but it is it doesn't have that sort of really unique or adventurous, experimental style, ambitious approach to making pop music that I kind of always want from her. So I was a little disappointed. Yeah, I think she didn't compose much of the actual album. I mean, she wrote all the lyrics, but I don't think she actually composed much of the music. I think there were some quite safe picks from whether it was her or whoever else was choosing the songs that she wrote for. Yeah, my take on it was that it was sort of concert material. Like if I went to an IU concert, I would really want these songs, especially the slower songs and the ballads and so on. You really want to hear IU sing and experimental, interesting instrumentals and production and so on is not necessarily the focus of a concert. So the light acoustic accompaniment and sort of jazzy sounds, I think, would work well live. I think also one of the things that maybe gets a bit lost for people who... I mean, I'm not fluent in Korean, but I've been learning Korean for about six years, so I can pretty much follow along. And I think lyrically, it's a much more impressive album than it is musically. She's developed a lot as a lyricist since the last album. Do you guys want to talk more specifically about this title track, Palette? like it's kind of a trilogy you know she's retrospectively created a trilogy with good day and 23 and then this song and it starts out with the clock ticking and as you said lizzie it's a very introspective song mm -hmm. i think for me i'm pretty much the same age as i you i think i'm about six months older than her so i like these songs because I sort of feel a connection with her at being in the, in the same sort of stage of my life and i think when 23 came out a lot of people because 23 actually means 22, because we're talking Korean age here. 21 even. A lot of people, that's when you're first doing your first like adult job. And even though IU doesn't, like she doesn't live a life that compares to pretty much anyone else that's listening to this music. She kind of caught that moment of being between being a child and being an adult and being in an adult world, but feeling slightly childish. And there's moments of anxiety in 23 where she's talking about you know that woman smiling at me but she walks around the corner and is she still smiling there's a lyric something like that whereas in this song there are lines like i know that you like me i know that you hate me and i think that being the same age that movement from being quite anxious about a lot of things to being more self-assured is something that i've also felt myself so i think she's caught that moment quite well 
Yeah, it's interesting. She is more self-assured than in 23, but there's still that little ambiguity. You know, there's still that doubt that's hinted at. And I think G-Dragon's rap also, the fact that he's comforting her Mm -hmm. implies that she has some need to be comforted. Yeah, I mean, I almost take a lot of the lyrics as sarcasm. I mean, she's saying, you know, I like it. I'm 25. It's fine. But is it? Is she doing okay? I mean, that's sort of like plays with a lot of her insecurities and the sort of pains of growing up and dealing with heartbreak and those sorts of things. But musically, I think it's a cool kind of sleek R&B thing. It's got an interesting texture and sound and her voice sounds great. For me, it's not like I know a lot about IU's discography. What made me click on the song to hear it was that G-Dragon feature. And I was pleasantly surprised that I really didn't care a lot for his rap. I didn't expect this from IU, but I really liked the breathiness in her voice. And I liked that the song is somewhere like between Neon Bunny and From. <laughs> and... It's like interesting that she's mixing these indie dream pop-ish K-pop. And that's why I'm on board with that particular song. Yeah, definitely. So Lizzie and Scott, what did you all think of the G-Dragon rap? I thought it was surprisingly like sort of tender almost from G-Dragon because that's not something you see very much from him. So that was quite interesting. There's a video of IU performing the song on on one of the music shows, and obviously he's not there, so she does the rap, and I think that's pretty cute. Especially because it's like him talking to her and referring to her and comforting her, like you were saying. So for her to be doing that herself is kind of interesting. It's pretty cute. Yeah, I saw that. I was really curious whether she might have changed the lyrics a little bit. I think she changes the second half. It works quite well. I think the second half is difficult for someone who's not a rapper to actually deliver properly so she changes it to be more self-reflective i think it works quite well one thing to me about this song and 23 also is i'm usually actively disinterested in celebrities personal struggles and relationship problems you know like drake telling me about his (laughs) relationship issues is not of any interest at all (laughs) but for some reason iu i think she's a little more general and relatable Yeah, I think, Lizzie, on Twitter, you were saying in response to this album, well, I guess we know who broke up with who, (laughs) which I think is pretty funny. (laughs) Well, yeah, but then I I listened again and not I still know who broke up with who, but I think actually some of the songs are just such like heartbreak, just unbelievably depressing and not great as well. I don't think they're the strong points of the album. Although I think, oh, what's it called in English? Iran ending? Ending scene, is it? That's kind of interesting because it's actually talking from two people's perspectives. It sounds like she's the person that's breaking up with whoever she's breaking up with. But then it's actually, the chorus is like, don't say things like this, you know, that this will hurt me and things like that. So that's quite interesting because she's sort of talking from both perspectives then. Yeah, so Stephen, were there other songs on the album that stood out to you? One song that stood out to me, and the one that I was really looking forward to, is Jam Jam, Yeah. Mm-hmm. which they had that great teaser for. I could have just used a whole album of that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, it had that real funky disco beat, and, yeah. and I use being chased by flying bread, and she's yeah. making jam. And I mean, how could you beat that? <laughs> I went and looked at the lyrics, and... It's an interesting song. It's basically about sexual exploration, and it's got a lot of innuendo and clever lyrics. 
You know, it's a fun song musically. It's a lot more synthy and less acoustic than a lot of the other songs on the album. I think as well that song was written by Sunu Jonga. She released a song with Yongwa from CM Blue last year, I think, which I wasn't a big fan of. But that song reminded me of a song called Spring Girls. I don't know if any of you have heard it, that she wrote a couple of years ago. It has Sandara Park in the music video. She does that sort of style really, really well. I also really liked the opening track, And Now. Listening to the album, starting it off that way, got me really excited for the whole album to be more of that upbeat, bouncy piano kind of thing. No other song sounds like that on the album, but I, I really like that one too. I think also, just for Jam Jam for a second, Stephen, you, me- you mentioned lyrically that it, it's quite racy, but also not very explicit. And also, one of the things that I really like about IU, I don't know if you guys know Kimina, the songwriter who's written a lot of stuff for IU. She did a really long interview recently for, I can't remember, Tosan Yumbo or something. And there's a translated version of it, but she was talking about how IU is really, really good with diction. And she has a really good ear for the phonetics of the sound. And I think that song, you hear it particularly well in that song. It's really interesting, sort of, the way that she plays with the pronunciation of the words, that they almost sort of mimic the instrumentation at points. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. That's interesting, because I was watching a lyric video of it, and it sounded like she wasn't exactly saying what the phonetic Korean was. Well, I think that... The main chorus, I mean, if I just get really geeky for t- like two seconds, it goes like, I man han saram kiri. It means like between people who kind of know each other. It's not a very obvious choice of words, but it's sort of the way that she pronounces it sounds almost like a sort of funk guitar riff, but there isn't actually any funk guitars in the song. It's quite an interesting sort of, she's almost replacing an instrumentation which feels like it should be there, but actually isn't. Alexis, was there a song that stood out to you on this album? Yeah, I really enjoyed Jam Jam too, but I think it was mostly because, like I said before, IU is really not my thing, so I did find the album boring, so Jam Jam was actually like a pleasant surprise in there of just like playing the album and then suddenly it's like, oh really, this is in there? It was nice, I really like it for all the reasons that you guys have already covered. Now, the song after Jam Jam, Blackout, stands out a little bit on this album. It's not really the same style. It's got a lot of synths and drum machine. It's got that electric guitar solo. I think as well, it's sort of theme-wise, it's quite similar to that, you know, in the music video for The Red Shoes, it's all very sort of bohemian. Yeah. And I think there's that kind of feel to that song as well. But yeah, I mean, I guess overall, this was what not exactly what we were expecting. Yeah. Right? Or not as good as what we were expecting? Yeah, I think I would have liked to have seen her more involved in the actual writing, like the composition of the songs, rather than just the lyrics. I think it might have been more interesting. Yeah, it's hard to tell her role. She sort of co-produces a lot of them or all of them, and when that happens, you don't know how large a role each person takes. 
Yeah, well, he doesn't have any... If you go into some of the Korean music websites, they list the credits, and she's not in any of the credits for any composition for any of the songs. Composition versus production, I guess we're talking about, yeah. Well, no, Palette, I think, actually, I'm just looking at it again. Palette, she wrote Palette. The rest of it were written by other people, and she wrote the lyrics for Oh, in that case, I'm with you because whoever composed Palette, I wish they'd done mm. more on this. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think yeah. it's a shame because she is a good composer. She wrote Friday as well, which is a song that I like. And I think she wrote 23 or co-wrote 23. So it's a bit of a shame that she wasn't involved more on the composition side. Okay, let's move on to our unmuted K-pop picks. Alexis, what song have you been thinking about or would you like to discuss on this episode? I recently can't get over the new Pick Me song. From the Produce 101. <laughs> I really didn't watch Produce 101, the girls' season. But anyway, I started watching Produce and it really stood out to me because when the first Pick Me song, it was just like instantly a no. Like, yeah. no, no, no. Why? It was just horrible. Of course, then I saw IOI add cake on and then it was like inevitable for me to start liking that Pick Me song. But it was mostly like a radio effect where you just hear it so many times that you start liking it. Yeah, exactly. I had the same reaction. I actively hated it at first, but then I heard it so many times that I kind of got into it a little bit. Yeah. So I thought it was really interesting that this pick me is so, I mean, it's not super different, but it's different. And I think it's mostly because of the producers, because for the first pick me, the producers were like EDM DJs or producers, whatever. And for this one, it's Ryan June, who mm -hmm. produced View and I think Dum Dum, all those songs. But anyway, I really liked it because I'm generally put off by EDM songs. But this one, I think it was more subtle. And I think it was mostly the hook and the chorus, which really got to me because they weren't as pulsating as the first Pick Me. Plus, I feel like the first Pick Me, their vocals are just like high AF all the time. And this one is not like that. Or maybe it's my bias that I'm generally drawn to boy bands. But anyway, I liked it better than the first Pick Me. And it's a song that I can listen to and not be sick of it. Yeah, no, I always like girl groups better generally, and I, that is actually one of the worst songs I think I've ever heard. The original one, so I would agree with you. I think the new one is, the structure is quite similar, but it's a totally different song. Well, Lizzie, what song have you picked? Okay, I picked Rumour by Card. I'm still deciding if I like it, but I think it's interesting to me because Card are just interesting, I think, as almost more as a marketing project than as a group, just from what they're doing. I mean, they started with a very accessible tropical house kind of sound that is really, really popular. And I think now this song is more, it's a little bit more like reggaeton. It's a little bit more, it's not necessarily as out there. I think it's just an interesting direction that they're going in. <laughs> Yeah, 
I still haven't quite understood or gotten on the card train, but everyone really seems to like them. So I guess good for them. I don't know. Is it like too early to call them the Korean ABBA? <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> okay. But hey, who knows? Maybe we'll get there. And if South Korea is ever allowed to join Eurovision, then maybe they could really be the Korean ABBA. <laughs> I'm actually on the card train. And for K-pop, I think that it's really interesting, the sounds and genres that they have going on. Like for this specific song, I don't think I had ever heard instances of reggaeton in a K-pop song. And I mean, I really like card, but I just wish that specifically the, the, the girl members danced a little better. I think that the boys get away with it more because of the body roles, but I just wish that there was a little more soul in their dancing like i don't think that it quite matches up quite yet but i really like the song and i think that they're growing and i'm liking the direction that they're taking well my pick for this episode is actually not a song it's an album by daya but i promise i won't talk about every song on the album <laughs> their new album is yolo and i always thought as an aside that this group's name was dia but apparently it's daya because diamond is part of their name but also do it amazing it's an acronym <laughs> and... So K-pop. Yes. Amazing. And that's the sort of thing that makes this album so interesting to me. I don't know if you guys caught the pre-release for this album, You Are My Flower, which is an absolutely bizarre pre-release. It's just a straight trot song. I guess Daya are in it somewhere, but it has two very well-established trot singers, sort of an OG trot singer and a younger one who's on Sister's Slam Dunk and the video is just a woman in a bar or a restaurant with a bottle of soju next to her crying <laughs> for the entire video. Yeah. How have I not okay. seen this? <laughs> you know, and this is a girl group. They were a seven-member girl group, ex-IOI members, and they just added two girls. They're a nine-girl group. And this is their pre-release single. I mean, it's so crazy that it's great. But, I mean, Tiara has done stuff like that. Well, it's the same company, right? Same company, yeah. yeah. All I know yeah. about this album, to be honest, is just reading pan posts. Because you know that Cheyoung, they gave out her phone number and poor people uh -huh. who had phone numbers that were almost identical getting hundreds of calls <laughs> from Cheyoung fans. That's all I know about this album, I'm afraid. That's awful. Well, their single is more along the lines that you would expect. It's a really fun, upbeat song. It's got a catchy chorus. It's got a lot of nice sort of anime style voice acting and fast rap and it's got fun choreography and i think it's doing pretty well but the album is just all over the place they've got another song mannequin that you know how sometimes you you start listening to a song and you think oh this is just going to be a some awful slow ballad maybe you skip ahead i do anyway i'll skip ahead just to make sure they're not faking me out and this is a little bit like that it starts out with a subdued kind of almost classical piano sound and then out of nowhere you get this carlos santana guitar Oh, wow. Followed up by what sounds to me like mariachi horns. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, that sounds like a total disaster, but it's great. Haven't listened to it, but just might have to now with that review. <laughs> I recommend it. I'm not saying I need to listen to it now. Yeah. You sold it quite well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it's great, but it's very interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs>
Okay, so I didn't want to do this. I don't want to do this, but we have to do it. So last week on the episode, I was not there, but our lovely guest Jessica Doyle talked about Coco Avenue. And in that discussion, EXP edition was brought up, of course. And I feel like it's a conversation everyone's having, and I need to say a few words about it. Because, (laughs) uh, Stephen, you mentioned on the episode last week that I was actually involved in this project a little bit, which is true. So I want to just like briefly explain that and then share some thoughts on the group and their new song, Feel Like This. Okay, so if you don't know, EXP Edition is a currently four-member K-pop group of non-Korean members based in New York that was created as a master's thesis project for a Korean artist named Bora Kim. I was involved early on before they had a name, actually before they had members, I was part of the audition process as sort of a music consultant and helping out with the project idea. So every time they get back in the news, people get really angry, (laughs) which I think actually is part of the point, because the, the point of the project really is interrogating the question of like, what does it mean to be K-pop? What is K-pop when K-pop is a genre that pulls from so many different cultures? You know, what is or is not K-pop? Do we call XOM who are not singing Korean? Is that still K-pop? Because, you know, it, it's it's all blurry lines. And I think what this project does is push things over those lines and force people to confront them. And I feel like most people don't confront it very well. <laughs> I think the fact it winds a bunch of people up is pretty much the only interesting thing to me about it. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the point, right? I mean, it's intended to force you to say, why am I having a negative visceral reaction to this? What is it about what they're doing that rubs me the wrong way? If it does rub you the wrong way, which it seems to do for most people. (laughs) So I just think that people like getting overly upset about it is sort of missing the point when it's really intended to like make us all think more critically about, you know, this thing that we all love. And like, what does it mean to be K-pop? Is it musical style? Is it visual style? Is it all of the above? Do the people have to be native Korean speakers? We know that's not true. So what is it about it? You know? Mm In terms of the song, which is much better than their first song, which I also had nothing to do with. They have another song? Yeah, so when this project was first going on two years ago, and the sort of first wave of hate came about, I was already gone from the project. I didn't know that they were going to call themselves EXP, which seemed to be inciting anger from Mm. EXO fans. Of course. (laughs) This was before it was EXP Edition, which is also a very K-pop name. So they had a song called Love Wrong, and it's very bad. Like, it doesn't sound like K-pop, which is what I had sort of been trying to tell them when I was involved in the project. This one, Feel Like This, I think sonically does a much better job. It feels more like contemporary boy band K-pop. It has this sort of trendy tropical house sound. Visually, I think it looks pretty good. But I've seen a lot of people, frankly, a lot of people who don't speak Korean, criticizing their pronunciation which i think is partially just like they know that they're american so they're criticizing their pronunciation yeah their pronunciation is pretty bad though yes but (laughs) for people who don't speak korean to be saying that it's just sort of like yeah 
It's just a thing to say. But what I will say more specifically is that it's a composition flaw in my mind because the Korean language is very rhythmic because every syllable has like a hard consonant. And K-pop tends to follow that where the melodies are much more rhythmic. It's a lot more wordy. You don't sing syllables very long. And what they do in the verses of the song is sing very long flowing melody lines. And that's, I think, why people say, oh, their pronunciation is bad because they're actually just singing Korean in a way that Korean is not sung typically because you, yeah. you're focusing on the vowels too much. Even if they were pronouncing everything perfectly, it's just unnatural. They're not singing the language as it is typically sung. And I think that's really the failure here. I think the chorus is fine. I like the music video fine. <laughs> I think that they get more hate than they should, but I think that's also the point of the whole thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't really fully understand the point of the project, but I do find it quite interesting how the typical internet rhetoric gets toned like way up way beyond reasonable like discussion right. what i find quite interesting is that you know they're saying oh it's typical you know white guys trying to get into a korean genre but it's a korean woman that's actually made the group which seems right. to have bypassed a lot of those people which i find quite interesting and then reading all of that and then i go to youtube video where they're singing a cover of bts and the one mixed race guy who's what half japanese i think yes half japanese yeah um they were like who's the cute guy with the guitar and it was just so yeah. typical it was, it was although to be fair his name is koki and he is the cutest one <laughs> so <Yeah>. you know <laughs> yeah, but it just i don't know maybe that was the only thing really that made me think that much i played the fifth with this one <laughs> <laughs> here's what i'll say two years ago when this project was still starting out and we were still doing Pop Unmuted, the other podcast. Bora Kim, along with our friend Jakob Doroff, we did an episode together where she talks a lot about her idea of what this project was and what she was doing and why she was doing it. And if you're interested in hearing that, you can find it, Pop Unmuted. The episode is called Signifiers of Korean Pop Music, I think, or something like that. We also talk about Four Minute. So you can go check that out and maybe it will give you more of an appreciation of what she's doing with the project, or maybe you'll still think it's bullshit and that's fine. So also we have kind of an exciting announcement to make here. If you have been following like our other show that I was just alluding to, Pop Unmuted, we stopped doing that show at the beginning of this year. And that's because my co-host Kurt and I are both focusing our efforts and energies to different projects. I continue doing K-pop Unmuted with Steven because he wanted to continue the show, which I fully support. And we've sort of been behind the scenes trying to figure out a way to do it without me. Uh, so, so we are excited to announce that we are going to be partnering with Cult Scene, which is one of the reasons we have Alexis on today's show. They're going to be sharing hosting duties and supporting the show. I'm really excited to see what the two things can do together. 
Yeah, we're all really excited as a team because I think that one of the reasons why we started Cold Scene was because we all thought that we had something to say. And I think that now with this platform that we will get to be more casual about it in a way. We think it's going to be great. Yeah, I think it just goes to show no one person could replace Scott. So we brought a whole team in. <laughs> yeah, we'll try, we'll, we'll try our best. Right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I thank everyone for listening. I'm excited to hear what you guys do. And hopefully you will invite me on as a guest sometime in the future. Well, thanks for starting the show, Scott. And I would say we can't do it without you, but we're going to try. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys are going to be just fine. Well, Lizzie and Alexis, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Lizzie, how can people find you on the internet and maybe read some of your K-pop writings and things like that? Yeah, you can find me at Lizzie Parker. That's with an IE. Occasionally. Well, no, I took quite often. Occasionally I write for beyondtalyou.com. These days I'm not doing it as much as I should, probably. But that's the main way that you can find me. Great. And Alexis, in your last appearance as a guest, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Yeah, I post everything I write on my Twitter, which is at ho underscore doyen. I'll spell it. It's at H-O-E underscore D-O-Y-A-N. And also on Cold Scene, of course, I write there. I edit there. I'm always on there. Great. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Interante. It's I-N-T-E-R-R-A-N-T-E. And I promise to keep occasionally tweeting about K-pop, even though I won't be doing the show. And I am at Tennessee Appeal on Twitter. The show is on Twitter at Kpop Unmuted and on Facebook under the same name. Of course, if you're not subscribed to the show, please do so on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating or review. We really appreciate that. And thank you for listening. <laughs>